melancholia, more like call me a fan of this movie. That's right, we're talking today with a very special guest, one Erin McQueen. Check out her wonderful music under the artist name Folly on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, anywhere you get music. Look for her album All Is Fair. It's fantastic. My personal favorite song on there is Submarine. But before I get into it, I want to thank you for checking out the podcast. I hope you can join us in discussion for our next film due by April 30th at noon. I know, that's a few days away. This is because I've been actually getting a little bit busy, so I, I want to test out the format when we add a few extra days in. And this time, the movie we're going to be watching is 2011 Terrence Malick Tree of Life, the divisive Palmador winner, a movie I personally love but have not seen in a while. I wanted to kind of compare it to Melancholia. For the purposes of the podcast, I'm going to be watching the director's cut, the three-hour long version. I've noticed that the free version available on HBO is two hours, 19 minutes, and the one you could rent on Amazon is also that. I assume that the director's cut won't be big spoilers. Spoilers, as I talk about it, I hope you can join me anyway. Email any thoughts you have on the movie to projectorfuel at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you, especially on this movie. I'll read your comments on the show, and maybe we can learn a little bit from each other. All right, let's get started. Adam, ask Erin how she's doing. Hey, Erin, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. So you picked Melancholia. Why did you pick this film? Well, it is one of my favorite films. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it, and I've seen it a couple times. But I was I was thinking, you know, you invited me to do this, and I wanted to pick a film that would maybe resonate with me differently right now, and given the state of things and sort of where we are in the world um, and in this pandemic, I, Melancholia kind of stood out to me. Um, because the idea of a shared experience and for anyone who watches the film it's a, a shared kind of inevitability that people are are facing um, which is is different than <laughs> what we're going through right now um, in many ways you know pandemic isn't necessarily a planet hurled toward the earth I think uh, you hit the nail on the head it certainly gave me some perspective but before we get into the movie what are some of your favorite movies just to get a flavor for your taste I think my end-all be-all film favorite is uh, The Hours, followed by Closer, Atonement. Um, I like dramas. <laughs> I like period pieces. <laughs> so the, uh, the style of this movie, the sort of elegance of it was something that draws you in. Yeah, I, I also love Wagner and the music in it is just so beautiful. And it's really interesting to see that sort of up against a, a cinematic experience. But I noticed you're also a fan of uh, more rock and roll-ish movies like Tarantino. Yeah, I, I am. I have some range. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. I love Tarantino. Uh, I was the bride, Beatrix, for Halloween. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. For this past Halloween? Yeah, this past Halloween. Okay, I was uh, Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, nice. Okay, rock on. Who would you marry from this movie? Well, there's only a couple characters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think I, I like... Justine. Okay. Because I think I I think in a lot of ways I see pieces of myself in, in that character and, and sort of can empathize with her struggles, at least, you know, in that in that first half of the film in that wedding. The Scars Guards are amazing. Um her husband in that, that film is also beautiful. Um I would happily marry him <laughs> just aside from like the context of the, the character necessarily. But but yeah, no, I, I think I like I like 
interesting. Interesting. So you would say that you identify more with her than Claire. Yeah, I do. I like and I love Claire and I think they're really important juxtaposed against each other. I think their relationship is like this driving component in the film. I think if I was going to spend time with someone, probably spend time with Justine. Uh, I definitely saw aspects of myself in, in both of them. Justine too at the beginning with that sort of fear of uh, it's sort of a bigger thing than a fear of commitment. It's hard to say exactly what she's going through. It's also so devastating that what she does to these people around her, you know. I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's the good part, um, but that's not what I'm attracted to. But um, but I, I think it's an honest portrayal of you know her humanity and where she's at. She does some some pretty bad stuff. And I like the idea that uh, her husband in it is supposed to be like this perfect dude. He's super right. caring. He buys her that apple orchard. It's all like, oh, I know, amazing. He's kind of like the perfect husband and companion. And I was I was watching a lot of their movements too in the film, and it's like she moves, he moves, she lies her head down, he lies his head down, you know. So it's like mm-hmm. it's very similar. Um, he's sort of just trying to meet her in any capacity, which is very sincere. So, so what exactly is this movie about? Is is it just about mental illness with a sci-fi twist, or what's going on here? I mean the the overarching theme of illness, mental illness. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen his other pieces in his trilogy, the Depression trilogy. Technically, Melancholia is the second film in Lars von Trier's Depression trilogy. The first is Antichrist, the second is Melancholia, and then the third is volume one and two of the Nymphomaniac movies. But essentially, each one is meant to capture mental illness and depression uh, in a different way, which I believe is sort of modeled after Lars von Trier's own experiences and feelings in his own illness. But yeah, I, I've seen all of them. This was the first film I, I ever saw of his. Um, I think it is probably the most palatable. Um, if I were going to recommend a film <laughs> for someone to watch of his, I'd right. recommend this one. I'm still not sold on Lars von Trier, although I, uh, re-watching this was great because the first time that I'd watched this film, uh, I think it was around the time that it came out, and I wasn't as into film at the time. And so I really didn't pick up on uh, what was going on but watching it now is really really frightening i've been watching a lot of horror movies and this is like the scariest (laughs) movie i've seen in a long time it is it just sort of gets under your skin a little bit the inevitability of what's happening and sort of the closer they're getting to that moment what got me the the most was uh when they go out to watch melancholia pass by and the uh, horizon lights up and it slowly peaks its its head up that freaked me out i couldn't I, (laughs) i think my biggest fear is the is like a celestial body coming and crashing in with earth so this like triggered me what's your biggest fear you know clowns kind of freak me out (laughs) but um i don't know isolation can be pretty terrifying i have i've always enjoyed time on my my own i view myself as pretty independent and introverted and self-sufficient but the idea i mean in this context of like being completely alone or maybe battling the idea of being faced with sort of this inevitable death um grand scale death that um everyone's experiencing and and wondering if there's anything beyond that or if we're truly alone. That was an interesting question to bring up in the movie. It's not, it wasn't necessarily a thing like, oh, is there life on other planets? But you don't realize what Justine is going through, I guess, in that point. And she's sort of resigned to death. It seems like she doesn't want there to be any life on other planets. Because, you know, this movie isn't the authority on that and we really don't know. Right. It's sort of this like self-fulfilling prophecy. I think she is searching for validation in her 
own belief system and what she believes is that she is alone and she knows this. She feels it really intrinsically. I think she almost wants the planet to crash into the earth because mm-hmm. it will, you know, validate sort of what she's feeling. What exactly is she going through at the beginning of the second half when she's unable to take the cab and even stand up on her own? I think it's just sort of the peak of her depression or whatever she's experiencing. They never really put a, a label on it in the film, but I think mm-hmm. she's just like very deeply ill and isolated in a lot of ways. You know, we I think it con- gives us contrast and sort of a point to watch her develop over those past few days because um, right then she she's very it almost seems like she's just her body physically like and the more time goes on she kind of I, I think she gets calmer she becomes more at ease and a little bit more verbal the closer um, she gets to sort of this inevitable moment right. so it, it almost gives us a, a way of, of tracking her feelings and emotions and I, I like that sort of transition of her character that she becomes the one in in charge after uh, Kiefer Sutherland takes off. Just, and, and throughout the whole film too, you know, she's sort of, at, at least in the, the beginning in part one, she's just like bumping into one situation after another and like everything around her is sort of structuring her movement. And then toward the end, I think all of all of those circumstances are removed and it's just her in this inevitable moment. And I like that what you said, that there's sort of no label on what she's going through. I like the idea that the planet is called Melancholia and it's stirring up all these different you know problems within these people i mean claire's whole thing is this crushing anxiety that she's feeling and uh, that, i think that's what i identified the most is just that when she starts like having trouble breathing or looks through, through that uh, clever little device and yeah. sees the planet get, get closer i i feel that i'm feeling that now with everything that's going on yeah that part i think is probably the most petrifying for me when i watch the film of you know holding that device contraption up to the the planet and having it grow larger. If uh, melancholy is doing the dance of death around us, what would you do? I I have a feeling I would <laughs> maybe react similarly to Justine in the sense that I think I'd want to be with loved ones, you know, mm-hmm. but if it was sort of just, you know, this is what's going to happen and there's no way to get around it. I think I just want to to be someplace serene like that, where they're living in that just like beautiful 18-hole golf course, <laughs> um, right. which is emphasized throughout the film. I don't know, something, just some, maybe go into the woods or something and sort of retreat the the husband's character and sort of how he character ends in the, in the movie. It reminds me of like a, a dog, how dogs when they're ill, they kind of go off and hide. I thought it was so perfect that he's sort of the first to die there by his own hand because, uh, you know, even going through this whole uh, quarantine thing, I'm always like, oh, it's okay. You know what the doctors are saying right now? You know, I'm always referencing what the people are saying, but deep down, you know, I'm pretty frightened. And if there's like, if it's looking like the planet's going to hit me at some point, I'm probably going to freak the F out. I think too, just, you know, his entire belief was shattered in a moment. Mm -hmm. He had been really holding on to this narrative and all of his research had been telling him one thing and I think he was sort of in a state of denial and that was sort of transferred on to his wife's character a bit too um, and she was sort of looking to him for security and her feeling secure made him feel like he was on the right track what he was saying and believing was was accurate sort of fell through I think he probably was afraid to face her and his family and you know from the house from a filmmaking standpoint is, is a pretty clever way of avoiding you know big reactionary crowd 
own shots. We don't see what the world is going through. We just see what this family's dealing with, which I'm sure, which is great for the storytelling purposes, but also I'm sure a lot cheaper and easier to shoot. I like it though, because there are a lot of films out there about apocalypse and the end of the world and sort of seeing things on a, a grander scale. And it was just interesting to see it sort of zoomed in on a couple characters, one family. Sort of slow burn made it even more frightening and more real. Kristen Dunst isn't British, but her whole family is. You know, I never really perceived that the first uh-huh. couple of times I watched the movie. And then I was watching it last night and her and Claire's character, like it sort of hit me. This isn't <laughs> unexplained. Right. <laughs> it's weird that we are kind of fine with it initially. Like we have to think about it before we realize what's going on. That's a strange movie magic. Didn't really question it. I just accepted it. It right. felt fine. Yeah. So John, you know, making that the emphasis on the 18 holes and everything, there's there's some semblance of a strange comedy in this movie. The biggest thing that comes to my mind is the fact that, uh, you know, although important, Justine's parents, like one of them just really hates marriage. She can't stand it. And then her dad is like, oh yeah, I love marriage. I'm with two women right now. Love is great. Yeah, I know. And sort of she's in the middle of and, and struggling with her own mm-hmm. feelings of commitment. And yeah, it's just a really interesting group of, of characters and, and especially to put them all in one room together <laughs> on such a stressful, possibly, you know, stressful occasion, which weddings seem to tend to be. Uh, and John Hurt is so cool. I love John Hurt. Yeah, no, I, I think that that whole first part is really interesting because it just sort of, you know, a lot of those characters don't carry over um, into the second half of the film, but they're sort of essential pieces and giving us context of Claire and Justine and who they are and how they are. Um, do you know the band Swans? I do not. Okay. I the, I they're uh, I think they're fantastic. They're really cool. They, they make sort of like really long, repetitive, spooky soundscape kind of music. They have a song on uh, their album, um, To Be Kind, called, I think it's called Kristen Supine. But uh, the the story is that that song was inspired by the moment of uh, Justine laying naked out in front of Melancholia. What did you think of, uh, of that sort of scene being injected into the movie that all of a sudden we see her naked? I thought it was beautiful and I think it's in, sort of intentional. Um, it reminds me of Ophelia, Um, from Hamlet, who is struggling also with mental illness. And actually, for the first time, I noticed this watching it last night. I'd I'd never picked it up before. But in the first part of the film, when Justine is in the study with all the artwork, um, the books of art up on the walls and the shelves, um, and she has that moment, she feels compelled to to remove the books and take all the books down and, and put up new artwork. Um, and one of the books that she puts up is a painting called Ophelia by Millet, which is in reference to uh, the character from Hamlet, Ophelia. So I thought that was really interesting. I think those tie in together. Yeah, I was wondering what that sort of breakdown was supposed to represent. I figured, you know, we we get some glimpses of that artwork throughout the film, but I have no idea, you know, what those mean. Um, yeah, you'll have to take a look at the, the painting because it, it's pretty much, it's, it's very similar in terms of the composition of the body and and how she's laying. And I really loved the uh, overture at the beginning. Uh, that that's something we don't see too often in films. I mean, occasionally in more of the art house films, but it was so beautifully shot. And I think uh, it perfectly puts these ideas into our mind, so that it can get away with sort of a slower first half, so we know something's coming. That big scene with the uh, melancholia actually taking the earth from space it prepared me for like I don't know, just being terrified for the next two hours. 
Yes. Are there any uh, images from that sequence that really stick out to you? You know, her in the wedding dress sort of trudging through the, the woods mm. um, and not having all these sort of, they're not like vines, but they're vine-esque and they're like black and gray kind of tugging at her mm -hmm. um, coming out of the trees and everything and ripping her dress a little bit. It reminded me of like Snow White when she's running through the, the woods. Justine's character at one point when she's asked by Claire to come downstairs and, and she says she's trudging through this like gray woolly yarn. Mm -hmm. And it's like tugging at her. And so I think those connect really, really well. It kind of gives us a, a visual for what she's feeling, which is hard to express, I think, especially to someone who doesn't feel the same way and doesn't understand. And Claire throughout the whole film is really trying, at least especially in the first part, and I think the beginning of the second part is really trying to, to help Justine. And she doesn't quite understand how to. I felt so bad for Claire at the end with, you could tell she's struggling to swallow her own anxiety and she just wants to go outside and drink wine and do something that would calm her down a little bit. And Justine doesn't want to do that at all. Which is so horrible, <laughs> um, but honest, you know. And mm -hmm. yeah, they're sort of at odds toward the end in a way because they just feel so differently about the experience. And that would be yeah. hard to be stuck in a room, not stuck in a room, but you know, the person that you're with to go through something like this and, and feeling like, you know, you're the only one that's maybe scared would really? be really terrifying. Yeah, well, you're the one who wanted to marry her. She knows things, you know, she knows how many beans are in the, the jar, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just cover this one really quick. So the, the idea of melancholia looming behind the sun, I guess, is, a, is the idea that at any point we could suffer from these things. I don't know. I think this idea that we're so it, it's almost like we're just so insignificant and we're so small <laughs> in the grand scheme of the, the universe. You know, anything mm. could really, really happen and just wipe us out completely, um, which is scary. But yeah, I think we, we all get sort of stuck sometimes in our, our ego. It can be a little overly confident. I think something like that would be pretty humbling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. You know, this, as scary as this movie was, it did make me feel better about what's going on right now, just because at least I can go somewhere, you know? I mean, she wants to, uh, Claire wants to go to the village at one point, uh, but that's not going to help her. At least here, if we take precautions, there's ways that we can beat this, you know? Definitely glad that we're in this story, not that one. What does the ending mean? I mean, with the planet smashing into ours? I mean, I guess it's just, just some things are inevitable. In that in that moment, looking at the characters um, that are left, they're so sincere. They're, they're just who they are, and they're, they're not, they haven't really compromised themselves by the end of the film. I think they're just very honest, and I, I just think, they're just sort of this acceptance, I think. Um, and accepting things for what they are. You know, I, I do think actually there's some level of peace that is shared by all three of them at the end and, you know, in this little tent that they built out of sticks and sort of a, a unity, um, finding mm -hmm. unity where there was sort of fractures before, I think, in the, the first half of the film, there's just a lot of, you know, incompatibility. And so toward the end, I think it's really, really beautiful that I think despite everything that's happening, they, they're sort of together, not alone in terms of mental illness can be very isolating. And, and I think, uh, you know, with the mental illness in the face of something like a calamity like this, we might all feel like all three of them at the same time. I, we haven't really touched on the character of the child much, but I think his character is so sweet. You know, it could have very well just been a story between 
the two sisters, but I think he adds just sort of this innocence to the picture that is really beautiful. His the strongest moment or the strongest presence he has in the film is at the end when uh, when Justine does go to comfort him, and I think she finally realizes what her sister may be going through. Justine's st- sort of um, this caretaker in the end. She's been cared for throughout the film and supported and has needed the support. And in the end, she kind of fills that role with him because his mother, Claire, is just sort of in a a state of anxiety. My favorite part of this movie, I think the biggest strength is the mood. I think it was captured so well, the the inevitability, but the terrifying grandeur of it all was done so well. Right. I think, you know, it's not a film that needs a lot of exposition you know it's very atmospheric centered on on mood and affect i think so well aaron before i let you go how's uh, the quarantine been treating you it has been good i've, I've sort of processed these events in, in my own way and and yeah just thinking about this film um and watching it is sort of interesting in the context of everything going on but um but yeah i've just uh, really been looking inward when right. i can and and just writing and uh, trying to connect with nature a little bit more, which has been really wonderful. And sort of despite how terrible this is um, and everything we're going through and how it's impacting so many people, I hope we just can come out of it a a little kinder, a little more compassionate, some, some more understanding. Are you feeling the length of it wearing you down at all? You know, I've had moments where I've particularly missed seeing people, but I, I kind of just let myself sink into it, which is why I think I really connect with um, Justine's character a little bit in that I I think I've found peace with, with this um, as much as I can, you know, given everything. So I'm just sort of, I've let my sink, myself sink into it, um, hopefully through that, the best possible experience I could have despite everything, so. Well, let's switch to a lighter topic. On uh, Before all this happened on February 22nd, you released uh, under the artist name Folly, your first LP. I did, I did. Um, so why uh, what 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 was the culmination of things that brought it to be released this year 2020 you know it was a project that I'd been working on for a while and I originally intended to release it in the fall or winter last year it still made I think the cut for winter which was important for me it was it was still cold and you know I released one of the songs in January as a single and yeah but it's just something that I was working on for a while and I think once everything was lined up in terms of having everything produced and mastered um, and then finding an event space. I wanted to release the album around the time that I had my release show. Mm -hmm. Um, So that just sort of ended up looking like uh, the 22nd which was, was great. Is that, would you classify this in the entirety as a breakup album? Yeah, I would. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, you know, sort of, I see it as sort of my own project in, in capturing and, and documenting grief and loss in my own life. Mm-hmm. It was much more a project of healing and processing, I, I think, than anything else um, in terms of just where I've been at different times and intentions in sort of making music. Um, right now I'm in a, a more creative place again, and uh, it, it's mostly just to, to write music. And I, I'm not really in a, a place where I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm processing sort of the events of 
of the world. But, um, but in terms of my, my personal life, um, that was just a very personal project. So it sort of had its own role in my life beyond what I was intending to share. It was an intimate project. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does it feel now that, uh, that it's been released and people are listening to it? Uh, it's good. I feel like I sort of, you know, did my part and it's beyond me now. And I, I feel sort of relieved and like this weight is off of me. Um, I don't even, I don't listen to it much, actually. Um, I love it and I'm very proud of it, but I think it's just, I listened to it so much um, while I was working with it. And I think I'm just sort of in a, a, a place right now where I'm, I need some some space from it. But um, <laughs> I'm very glad that uh, people enjoy it or seem to be enjoying it and connecting with it. It no longer belongs solely to me. Um, do you think in the future, after this break, you'd uh, want to tour with this album again? I do. I think I, I, think I will. Um, I'm sort of in the process. Right now, I have the, the luxury of kind of taking some time to look into distribution and venues that I might want to to reach out to and go through the the process of reaching out to labels, which can be (laughs) a struggle sometimes. But yeah, no, I I do have goals for it. I I would love nothing more than for it to be distributed to a, a larger community if possible and just more visibility. But yeah, I think... I'm most excited for the music that is to come. Do you think then going forward, your music is going to be more of a, how can I put this? Less of a submarine, more of an airplane? <laughs> I, yeah, I think um, there'll be a lot more levity, I think, to what I'm writing. Um, you know, I think I have a, like a tendency to, to lean into emotional topics. Um, I'm a pretty sensitive person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, even though there's some poignancy in in the work that I'm writing right now, it's it's less romantic and it's it's personal, but it's also I I just think there's more space for other emotion. But yeah, I think what I'm writing right now is it's um more hopeful, I would say, which is nice. Where did the uh, name Folly come from? I've always I've always been a, a fan of the word, and it's always sort of evoked thought in me. Um, but I I think it captures my intentions with a at least a lot of my my songwriting in terms of kind of the themes and uh, ideas that I find myself kind of toying with in my mind a lot of the time of imperfection and flaw and foolishness and kind of humanity as imperfect um, and on the flip side sort of the strengths and resiliency that lie in all of that. So yeah, I think, you know, I, I see Folly as the, the larger project and I think All is Fair as the album was sort of the first story in a, a series. That one was, was centered on thinking about imperfection and flaw um, and contradiction via, you know, love and romance. And I think the next one will be based more on identity and growth and healing and sort of the, the inconsistencies and sort of non-linear trajectory of growth. Well, I, I certainly loved the uh, the style of this album, but uh, I look forward to hearing what comes next. It sounds optimistic. Thank you. Yes, that is my my goal. And I hope uh, after all this that you consider playing some shows down here in the OC. Yes, I would love that. I, I really want to kind of get a, a West Coast tour put together. So I will definitely keep you updated. Okay, excellent. Well, 
Aaron, I appreciate you coming on the show, picking the movie. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me today and picking the movie. And thank you for opening up about your album and artist experience this year. Thank you, everyone else, for joining us today. And I hope you can join us for the Tree of Life. Whichever version you watch, I want to hear from you. And thanks to at the work of Rhea on Instagram for the picture in our profile. We are getting close to May. Stay strong out there. Just take care. Be safe. Be kind. Stay home. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>